Believe it or not, that was a psalm that you just said, or sang. Uh, a psalm is any, any song that is put, it's scripture directly sung. And we sang pretty much directly scripture there. And that's part of what we want to do here. We want to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And you saw all of that in our message, in, in the message through song today. Today we're going to start in our book of Ephesians. I want to give a few challenges. Uh, one challenge is that you would read the book through and <clears throat> really study the book. And in fact, I'm even going to give you a challenge to actually memorize the book. Now you say, who in the world is going to memorize it? Well, here's the deal. Since Pastor Brian was offering my resources last week without my knowledge, um, I decided that he is going to take anybody that memorizes the entire book of Ephesians on an all-expense-paid vacation. So uh, it might be to Mansfield Reformatory. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he's going to do that. No, uh, I encourage you just to take in God's Word and really know what it has to say. I believe that you will learn. Uh, one of the things that I have learned in my nearly 50 years of existence is that we have this not-so-brilliant way of taking and defiling and corrupting and abusing that which God has designed to be used for His glory and for His use. Now, I think one example that we can look to is how that happens in the church sometimes. Now, look back at the very first church. In Acts chapter 2, you don't have to turn anywhere, but let me tell you the story. Acts chapter 2, we see the birth of the, of the brand new church, and it was just awesome. I would have loved to have been there that day to see the, the Spirit of God fill individuals. These people were worshiping together with all their hearts. They were taking God's word. They were understanding it and trying to understand it. They were sharing everything they had together. They were, you know, they were just meeting each other's needs. And together, they were proclaiming Christ, living it out in their communities. Because the passage tells us that daily, daily, people were being added to their numbers because they were coming to faith in Christ. So we see this pure church in Acts chapter 2, but it didn't take long until after that for us to see that the church began to lose out on its mission and forget its mission. If you were to read Revelations chapter 2 and 3, you would read God's evaluation of seven churches that were actually in the Ephesian region. And God's evaluation of these seven churches was one of rebuke. You've lost your first love. This was only 60 years after the resurrection. He rebukes them and says, listen, you, you've allowed doctrinal impurity to come within your church. You've allowed uh, sexual immorality to be rampant in some of your churches. And you have lost your mission. So it doesn't take long. Now fast forward many decades to right now. And we look at some of the churches that are around us, and I'm not saying this in condemnation, it's just a reality that many churches have so lost the focus on this, on worshiping God, that there's this need. It's like they're a broken down, dilapidated building, kind of like what you see here, in need of restoration. Now, some of you realize that because you've come out of those churches. There's some people, this is a brand new experience for you. Church is a new thing. That might not be for you. But there's a lot of people that have come from 
different denominations and you've experienced some ugliness. Now, some people have experienced good stuff in churches because the, the church is growing in many places. But there are some of us have had negative experiences. And so we got all these different walks of life as Mission View is continuing to grow. And so what we're going to do is we're going to allow Ephesians to restore our minds to what the church is all about. And so my desire is that as we look at Ephesians and we look at what God says the church is all about, what I hope is that at the end of this series that we would not have Baptists here, Presbyterians, Catholics, Methodists, non-denominationals, but what I hope we have is the body of Christ. That's what I hope. And as we look at God's word, we're going to align ourselves with what he has to say. And my prayer is as we study this, that we would understand God's design for the church and God's design for me as an individual. Let's pray that that would happen. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at your word, pray that you would help us to have your understanding. Help us to be good students of your word and help us to really hear what your spirit has to say. I pray that I would be out of the way and that your spirit would be the one who would instruct each of our hearts today. Give clarity of thought in Christ's name. Amen. I would encourage everyone to take notes, especially if you're in a community group, because you're going to be discussing this in more detail. Um, and I'm going to start off by giving you some introductory things to the book of Ephesians so that you understand the context in which Paul is writing this letter. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the city, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about the theme. The city of Ephesus was an critically important part of that world. It was part of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It was a sophisticated city. It had bathhouses. It had open markets. It had amphitheaters where they did uh, all kinds of drama in the arts. And it also had a worship center where there was a focus on the fertility goddess known by the Greeks as Artemis and known by the Romans as Diana. Now, this temple was a major part of the financial prosperity of the city. We'll see that as we develop this whole series. Economically, Ephesus was a, a giant among the other first century cities. It was kind of a crossroad of commerce and it was the crossroad of civilization because it was a seaport city. There was all kinds of people moving in and out of this city. So it was vitally important for the church because if there are people that came to faith in Christ, they could go to other places and spread the gospel. Now morally though, this city was absolutely bankrupt. It's very much, uh, well, there's some similarities to our culture today. It was a very sexually charged orientation to that city. Now, what that made it sexually charged for them was different than it is today, but the application is the same. Now, this is what happened. Part of the cult of Diana was to use ritual prostitution whereby the congregant, the person going to that temple, would join with the goddess through her priestess, ensuring that her favor, uh, that her favor would be upon them that year. Here, let me put this in explanation that we can understand. Imagine living in a culture where having sex with a temple prostitute was a part of every man's responsibility for them to do 
in order for God, the goddess's blessing to be upon their life. Can you imagine what dinner conversation is around the table at that house? Well, honey, it's that time of the year. I got to do my duty by going and seeing the temple prostitute. But it was a very serious thing. And you can understand why immorality crept into the church of Ephesus that they're rebuked for later. Now, let's talk about the theme. I want you to do a little exercise this morning. In just the first 14 verses, if you're willing to write in your Bible, I want you to circle every phrase that you see that says, in him or in Christ. Now, as I talk, I want you to do that for the first 14 verses. And what you're going to see is if you were to do that, not only in the first chapter of Ephesians, if you were to do it through the entire book of Ephesians, you would see your Bible completely marked up in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Christ. In fact, if you went to all 13 books that the Apostle Paul wrote, you would see that that's a major theme of a lot of his writings. Basically, the Apostle Paul has that phrase in there in all of his books 216 times. Now, if someone says something to you more than once, you start to listen. Remember when your mom used to, you know, just ride you on a certain issue? You knew it was important for her. But if your mama said it 216 times, there's a couple things you should do. Know that it's important. And number two, you would do well not to forget it. Paul is helping us understand what the theme of this book is about. He wants us to understand who we are in Christ. He wants us to understand as a church who we are in Jesus Christ. And that's going to be part of our theme. And as we develop this book, as we continue to examine it, we're going to see that as we go on. Now, by studying this book, we're going to be able to answer two vital questions. Who are we as a church and who are we as an individual? Who are we as a church and who are we as an individual? Now, I think sometimes we have had in our history a way of answering that in a wrong way. Who we are as a church. Well, many people immediately think, well, I'm a, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a non-denominational. And they kind of put this label. In fact, those people that have come from that background, they might even be a little confused as to whether they should even be here at Mission View because it doesn't necessarily hold that label. I want you to know that's an erroneous way of answering that question. In regards to the question of who I am as an individual, some of us immediately answer by our occupation. And for some people, there's a, there's a great thrill in answering that question because you have letters after your name or you feel like you have a great accomplishment in life. Well, yes, <laughs> I'm a doctor or I am a, I am, I'm, a, I'm a counselor or I'm a this or that. And you feel very accomplished. But then you always know that person that might feel a little bit ashamed of their title in life because they'll answer, well, uh, I'm... I'm just a stay-at-home, you know, soccer house mom, you know, that's what I am. Or I'm just a janitor, or I'm just a guy who flips, uh, you know, makes chicken sandwiches at Chick-fil-A. You know, that's what I do. <laughs> now, I do like Chick-fil-A, so for those of you in that occupation, that's a, that's a good thing. See, what we're going to look at, and we're going to find out, is that the book of Ephesians tells us, God tells us in this book what we're really about. 
what the church is about, what the individual is about. The Apostle Paul kind of writes, he writes his book as a thesis of what the church is to be simply because the church was confused, just like the church is confused today. And what we're going to quickly find out is that how we see ourselves is very different than how God sees us. Note this. Our label that we give ourselves certainly might explain us, but my friends, it does not define us. It does not define us. The problem is that we often define ourselves by our church affiliation or our occupation or even our vices or tragedies in life. Have you ever heard the person say, well, I'm an alcoholic or I'm abused? I want you to know that if you're in Christ, you're none of those things. Yes, they may explain something in your life, but they do not define who you are. Why is it important for us to understand this theme of identity? Here's the reason. If we have the right identity in our mind, then it will lead to right actions. But if we have the wrong identity, we have the wrong thinking, and it will lead to wrong actions in our life. And so what God wants is for us to have the proper identity. So this is the introduction to Ephesians. Let's start to dig into the passage. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be taking a look at the, actually the first six verses today. Now what's interesting is in the first 14 verses, the Apostle Paul just kind of hammers this idea of your identity, your identity, your identity. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. And we're going to look at nine aspects of our identity and who we are and let God define us as a church and as individuals. Now today, because I've taken time for introduction, we're only going to cover three identity markers today and we'll cover the next six next week. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. The first identity marker is this. We are faithful in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful, underscore that word, under, are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Know that he's our Father. Now, Paul identifies himself, first of all, as an apostle. The word apostle means sent out one. It basically, it might be what you would say a missionary is, somebody that's sent out. To be honest, in a small way, each of us are sent out ones in our daily life to the places and occupations. A couple weeks ago, Pat Culpepper talked about that. Next week, he's going to start his class, his equipped class of how we can have marketplace ministry. We're all sent out ones in that sense. But notice what Paul says. I'm sent out. Uh, I'm a sent out one of Christ Jesus to fulfill God's will for my life. God has a specific task for Paul to do, and he is helping people uh, see his identity. Now, I think it's only fitting that Paul shows his identity because he's going to help the church understand their identity. Next phrase in verse 1 says this. Paul says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, we got to have clarity here because we come from different religious backgrounds. To the saints, the word saint means holy, set-apart believer. He is not praying to somebody that's dead at this point. He is, a, he is talking to living people. 
And so this might be kind of a paradigm shift for some people, but if you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus, guess what? You are a saint. God says you are a saint. These are believers that are holy and set apart, and we'll understand why we're holy and set apart in a little bit, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Here Paul is laying out the fact that just as he is faithful in Christ, that they could be faithful in Christ Jesus as well. Now these people, the Ephesians, this church, they knew that being faithful to Christ was not an easy thing because they saw how Paul had initially come in and worked amongst their people. In Acts chapter 19, you could read about that. But he came and he sacrificed. There was persecution. It wasn't an easy thing. There was a riot in that city. But Paul took the risk, invested into their life. They understood the gospel. They came to faith in Christ. And he was faithful. And now he's basically saying, just as I was faithful, you can be faithful. Yeah, there's going to be hardship. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. But you can do it. These people knew that he was writing this book from prison. So yes, there was hardship. So how was it possible that they could be faithful? How is it possible that you and I can be faithful on a daily basis? How is it even possible? I struggle with my thoughts. I struggle with my attitudes. Anybody else here? Absolutely. How can we do it? The key is in Christ Jesus. Since this is a major theme of Paul's, I want to camp out on just this phrase, in Christ Jesus, to show why in Christ Jesus you can be faithful in Christ. The phrase in Christ Jesus is actually in contrast to another phrase, and the other phrase is in Adam. In Adam, in Christ Jesus. I'm going to show you. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it shows this contrast. It says this. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You see the contrast? There's Adam, death. In Christ, life. And so what it tells us is that people can be in one of two categories. If all, everybody's sitting here, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Now, I got news for you. We all start out in Adam. But some people are still in Adam, and you have to transition into in Christ. It just doesn't happen. You're not just born into it. It is a decision that you make to become in Christ. Now, you'd say, well, how do I know whether I am in Adam? Here's the, here would be the description according to the Scriptures. We're going to learn this more as we go through Ephesians. But if you are in Adam, you are still living a fleshly self-dependency and you have not come to repent of your sin. You might be in church uh, kind of faking it. You might be in church, and this is good, just investigating. I don't know. And it's good to be in church, but it's good to be real with ourselves as well to say, okay, am I in Adam? Now, just as Adam and Eve sinned, every man sin. Well, you can see that in Romans chapter 5. We're born this way. We're born sinful. We're born selfish. We're born unredeemed. If you want proof of that, have a toddler in your house for any length of time, and you will understand that completely. Now, in theology, this is called total depravity. 
What it means is that we cannot, in and of ourselves, we can't save ourselves. We can't do anything to redeem ourselves. Apart from the Spirit's work in our life, we can't do anything. But, and if we die in this condition of in Adam, please understand this, that we will be eternally separated from God. 2 Thessalonians 1 says this, Hell is a place of blazing fire, and it's a place of punishment described as eternal destruction for those that refuse to obey God or turn to human logic. Now, here's the good news. We have the option to transition out of Adam. God des desires none to perish, and we can transition from in Adam to in Christ. And we do that by repenting of our sins and believing that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again for us, according to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 says that. Then what happens is that Jesus trades places. We're here in our sinful condition. Christ is holy and perfect and righteous. And when we yield our life, what Jesus does is he says here, I will cover you with my blood and you get all of my righteousness. You get all of my holiness. You get all of my perfection. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take all of your sin. I'm going to take all of the filth, all the things that have been done to you, everything that's happened in your life. I will take it. I will pay for it. I will do that for you. That's called substitutionary atonement. He takes my place. And praise God, he's done that. 2 Corinthians says this, For our sake, our sake, God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can I just tell you, that's a really good deal for us. And it's a really bad deal for God. But God in his love in his perfection, said, I cannot stand my creation wallowing through this life by themselves in their sin. So I have lovingly given my life for them. That's what he did for us. Now, I think it's very vital that we understand this in regards to being faithful in Christ. Because I think that there are many people that have come to place their faith in Christ who have said in their minds and their hearts, you know, uh, I just, I can't gain victory in this one area of my life. Or, you know what, I'm just not suitable to serve God. I just can't do it. I mean, I'm not, I'm ill-equipped. I can't, I just can't do it. I want you to know that whenever we say that, I hope we realize when we say these kinds of things, that it is insulting to the work of Christ that he has done on the cross for you. He made it possible so that we could be in Christ so that he would flow through us and that we can do anything. Do you realize that we are more than conquerors for those who are in Christ Jesus? Do you realize that you are a child of a king? Do you understand that you have a brand new identity, that you are holy, you are righteous, you are forgiven from past sins, from present sins, from future sins? This is what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, do you struggle with being faithful to God? 
every one of us to some degree struggle. But please realize today that when God is living through you, you can be faithful. Number two, we are blessed in Christ. Take a look at verse three. This is the second point of our identity. We are blessed in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, let's take this apart. First of all, he says, blessed. This means to speak well of, to eulogize, to extol. This is the only thing in the passage that we are told to do, and that is to give praise and honor and worship to our great God. That's our job. Our job is in light of all that God has done for us, we're to extol him. I want you to know that when we come here on Sunday morning, I, I tell the worship team and I tell the, you know, for Brian and myself, that our goal, please take this in the right way, is not to please you. It really isn't. Our goal is to please God. Our goal is to form worship songs that, whether they're familiar or not familiar to us, that will bring our minds and hearts into God's word, into the theme of what we're talking about. We want all focus to be on him. And what our job is to do here this morning and every morning that we gather together corporately, we're to praise him. We're to praise him with all of our heart. And I want you to know you can move a little. It's okay. It's okay to clap. It's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to do what the scripture tells us it's okay to do. And that we are to do it with all of our heart, with all of our being. Notice what the passage goes on to say. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what he's done. Who has blessed us in Christ? Who has blessed us in Christ? Now this is a second word for blessed. But in this word, it means to benefit, to prosper. He has benefited us. He has prospered us. And notice it says he has done it. This has given an indication that in the past, eternity past, as we're going to see as the passage develops, God enriched us with everything we needed in Christ so that we could succeed in this life. God has given us everything for success in this life. And notice that it's, uh, notice that the blessing is described as every spiritual blessing. In other words, God has given us the spiritual enrest, uh, uh, enrichment necessary to succeed with God. And it's in the heavenly places. In other words, it's not material, it's spiritual. It's not temporary, it's eternal. It's not earthly, it's heavenly. Now, why is this significant for us? Why should we understand that our blessings are in Christ? Because, my friends, I think sometimes we measure blessings in the wrong way. Have you ever been that person that says, you know what, why, why do I work so hard? It just seems like someone else succeeds and gets rewarded. Why is it? I mean, I pay my dues, I do everything necessary, but look at somebody else, they're driving the nicer car, they're in the nicer home. They're, I mean, they just seem like they're excelling in such a great way. My friends, we could all think this way, but my friends, I hope that we could open our eyes, and if we could open our eyes, we would see that we are swimming, that we are swimming in the presence of a generous God who gives us so much, so much. Let me illustrate this. Back in January of 2007, 
A social experiment was conducted by the Washington Post to see if busy people could recognize the presence of a musical genius that was placed in their midst, in the midst of the mundane rush of life. Now, what you see behind me and the background music is actual footage of this experiment. The Washington Post was able to convince world-renowned artist Joshua Bell to play his three and a half million dollar Stradivarius violin in the LaFont Plaza subway located in Washington, D.C. Now, Washington Post describes Joshua in this way. A one-time child prodigy at 39, Joshua Bell has arrived as an international acclaimed virtuoso. Three days before he appeared at the metro station, Bell had filled the house at Boston Stately Symphony Hall, where merely pretty good seats went for a hundred bucks a person. Two weeks later at the Music Center of Strathmore in North Bethesda, he would play to a standing room only audience so respectful of his artistry that they stifled their cough until the silence between movements. But on that Friday in January, Joshua Bell was just another mendicant, competing for the attention of busy people on their way to work. Now in this experiment, there was 1,097 people that passed by in a 43 minute period. During that time, Joshua played several masterpieces. And I'm going to slaughter the names of these masterpieces, but one was Chacon by Johann Sebastian Bach. Those of you that are musical, you know I slaughtered it. Then the France Schubert's Ava Maria, which is a beautiful, breathtaking work adoring the Virgin Mary. Now, after 43 minutes, Joshua Bell earned $32.17 in his open violin case and only a few people actually stopped and listened to the music. Actually, more people stopped to buy a lottery ticket at a nearby merchant. Okay, you can cut the video. You can see what happened there. Now, my friends, I believe that this is an analogy of how we often overlook the blessings of God in our life. God is, we are standing in the midst of the eternal genius. And, and sometimes we can't hear, sometimes we can't see all that God has done for us. We're so busy rushing around in our schedules. We're focused on the gambles of life rather than the certainty of God. We're feeding ourselves on the current events of society instead of maybe the current events of God's word. And we, we stuff our faces with croissants and coffees, but we're not stuffing our souls with the things that actually matter the most. And when we begin to do just that, our eyes have a scales that are taken off. And all of a sudden we start seeing the blessings of God and how he has enriched us in an incredible way. And today I have an assignment for each and every one of us. And that, was, that is this, that we would take inventory of what God has done in each of our lives. I look at what he's done here at Mission View. Man, the fact that God has given you, this group of people, to this church. 
to be a part of this mission, to be able to uh, worship together, for us to be a part of missions together. You got a calendar. You're going to see different things that we're going to be trying to do this year. And by God's grace, we're going to try to reach out to the teachers in the high school by feeding them on parent-teacher conference day. We're going to have a mission trip in, uh, in, in May to Chicago. We're going to have different mission projects throughout the summer. All the community groups are going to be actively involved in their community in some way. You're a part of that mission. I'm thankful for the people, the leaders that he has gathered here. What I want you to do this week, especially in your community groups, is to take inventory. Take inventory of the abundant blessings that God has given us. The final point is in verses 4 to 6, and that is we are chosen in Christ. Take a look at this, this passage. Even as he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance to his purpose and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given us, uh, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now this, this identity is that we are chosen. Now, I know for some people, when you hear that, it brings a level of confusion. So what I want to do is break this down and help us to understand every aspect of this. So the first word here is even as. In some translation, you have for. The Apostle Paul has taken us back to all the blessings that he has given us. And so in the blessings, he's going to tell us three ways that the Trinity has blessed us. Today, we'll look at how the Father has blessed us in election. Next week, we'll look at how the Son has blessed us in His redemption and how the Spirit has blessed us in His sealing of us. But now we're going to look at the Father's blessing of us through election. And so for us to understand it, I'm going to break this down into five phrases, and each of these will help us understand how the Father has blessed us. First phrase is this in verse 4. He chose us in him. Now this first phrase answers the question, who? If you're writing down notes, you might put this phrase and put who. In this phrase, God is the subject, but the who is you as a believer. If you have given your life to Christ, what God is saying is that God God chose us or picked us, which is describing his sovereign action in choosing some to believe. Now, what we learn here is that God is the author of salvation. He is the one who brings sinful man into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, this truth is taught throughout the scripture. It's not something to be debated. It's a fact. Now, what God does here is he's just simply giving us a peek in window to his sovereignty. He wants us to see how we are chosen by God. Now, this isn't something to be questioned. It's more to be appreciated that God chooses. Second Thessalonians says this, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying, through sanctification by the Spirit, meaning set apart by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. What we see in this verse is that God chose us but we responded to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. So that's number one. Second phrase, before the creation of the world. 
This phrase answers the question, when? When did all this happen? When did God choose? It says, before the creation of the world. Now, this should be confounding to us. This should cause something to happen in my mind that says, are you kidding me? Before the creation of the world, God had me in mind. And what it does is it speaks about God's love. It speaks about the intentionality of God. God has a purpose for every person that is in Christ. He has a purpose for every single one of us. Second, or Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. When did he do it? Before the creation of the world. My friends, if God went to all that trouble to pick us, to choose us, before the creation of the world to be his workmen, then it would, be pay, it would pay the reason that if we are in Christ, that we're working for him. We move on. The third phrase, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now this phrase answers the question, why? God chose us so that we would be holy. The word holy means to be set apart. The word blameless means to be without blemish. Now that's not possible if we're in Adam. If we're in Adam, we're, we're filled with blemish. We're not holy. But as soon as we are over here, it's not because of what we have done that we're holy. It's not because of what we have done that we are without blemish. It's because of what Christ has done. And so in love, this is what God has done for us. He made us holy and he made us without blemish. So if you have given your life to Christ and you have gone through stuff in the past and you have been haunted by those things of the past, please realize you're holy. You're without blemish. That's what the blood of Christ did for you. And when did he do it? He did it in eternity. He planned for this in eternity past. This is what he did. Number fourth phrase, the number fourth phrase. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now get this. This answers the question, what? What did God do? God, in his love, he predestined. The word predestined means marked out beforehand. He marked out beforehand that we would be full-fledged sons of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to realize is that when we are in his family, he doesn't divorce himself from us. We are secure when we come into that relationship with him because he did it. He planned for this in eternity past, before the creation of the world. We become full-fledged sons. God uses the analogy of adoption for a reason. The focus here is on the individual that is being adopted. In human adoption, if a child is adopted by good, godly parents, that child is not going to sit there and question, why was it me? Why did I get adopted by such gracious parents? What they're going to do is they're going to appreciate, Lord, thank you that I have such incredible parents. And this is the point that God is getting to. 
He, this is the emphasis. In light of a God who blesses us in the heavenly realm. In light of a God who picked me from eternity past. In light of a God who sent his son to redeem me, to forgive me, so that I could be holy and blameless. In light of a God who gave me a family, my response should simply be the next phrase. To the praise of his glory with which he has blessed us in the beloved. My response should be, oh my goodness, what God has done for me. Thank you, God. Thank you for having me on your heart. Thank you for having me on your mind. And yet many of us, we don't focus on the blessing of God. Instead, we still camp out, even as believers, on the damage that sin has caused in my life. Let me ask you something. Is there anybody here that feels dirty today? Is there anybody here that feels like you're unworthy and defiled? Please understand this. If you are in Jesus Christ, it's time for you to appropriate the blessings of God, apply the blessings of God in your life, and realize that that is not your identity because you are clean and you are forgiven. That's who you are. You're not what you were in the past. You are a new creation. You are more than conquerors who are in Christ Jesus. This is what God has promised and you have a new identity because you are beloved. You are, you are a child of God chosen by the beloved and you are set apart. Now if you're still an Adam, then it's time to repent. It's time for you to say, okay God, I give up. I know that I'm sinful. I know that I need you. And I surrender my life to you. But if you are in Christ Jesus, and I certainly encourage that to happen even today, but if you are in Christ Jesus, I want you to accept, to understand, and appropriate the blessings of God that he has in your life. As we close out, there's three questions that I, that I want you to think about. One, do you struggle with being faithful with God? you'll be able to evaluate this in your community groups. Two, take inventory of the blessings that God has given you through his, your relationship with him. And number three, do you realize that your sin is not your identity? Jesus is your identity. A simple prayer or something that you can do practically is take the last three verses and take, make it a prayer to God. For God chose Steve Marshall in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. That Steve Marshall should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined Steve Marshall for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed Steve Marshall in the beloved. Do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would so affect our hearts that it would affect our actions and our mindsets. Help us to see who we are in you. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would be with every single person here, that we would understand how much you love us and what you've done for us. Lord, today, as we take our offerings, we want to do it as an expression of gratitude of what you've done in our life. 
And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would uh, just take our lives. Let it be even symbolic of not just the finances that we give, but that we would give of our time, our resources, and that we would serve you because you created us before the creation of the world to do that. Lord, I want to pray specifically for Brandon and Hannah Bond who are working on the mission field as they work in Pakistan. Lord, I pray that you would help them as they work with a nomadic people. I pray, Father, that you would be with them as they, as they work out in the, the hills, hill country. I pray that you would come alongside of them. I also want to pray for uh, Tom Randall, who is in prison in the Philippines. I've talked to the pastor of Christ Community, and they believe he is innocent of what he's being charged of. And so, Lord, I just pray that truth would come out. Be with him physically, Lord. I pray that you would be with him. And we pray also for Jason Lance and Love Canton. Lord, we just love the body of Christ and are so thankful for it. And so, Lord, we lift up your praise. And so, Lord, even now as we sing this song, may we bless you with all of our hearts and sing with all of our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs> 